0: Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. I'm your host, Emily Eichelberger. The brands that we at Gutcheck think are gutsy fall into one or more of four primary criteria. We feature brands that are empathetic, pioneering, bold, and those that demonstrate what we call the power of and, seeing opportunity where others force trade-offs. When we find a brand leader that we think embodies gutsiness, we bring them on the show to explore what drives them every day, learn the wins and losses experienced along the way to success, and to get their perspective on other brands that they think represent gutsiness. In today's episode, Jess Gedeke, CRO at GutCheck, a former leader at Nielsen, and an ambitious Capricorn, sits down with Brandon Larson, current director of Brand Strategy and Communications at Microsoft. Brandon describes his career as brand strategist as working at the intersection of strategy, technology and psychology, which enables him to make an impact by pairing digital experience with an understanding of human behavior. Brandon has helped to transform some of the world's leading companies, as well as launch a few of them. So let's get to it and learn from Brandon why true empathy helps us develop a deeper understanding of human behavior, which allows us to innovate while remaining human-centric. Let's also figure out why Jess ended up with a professional crush on Brandon by the end of the episode. Grab your favorite beverage and nestle in for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast.
1: I have to say, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I had a lot of fun in preparing for it because, based on our last chat, I got to really reflect on how the brands that I interact with every day represent something so much bigger and so much more important than how I experience them personally as a consumer, as a professional. So, you know, when you say that you work at the intersection of strategy, technology, and psychology, to uncover the insights that drive innovation, it's that intersection that I'm really looking forward to learning about as we hear your perspective on Gutsy Brands. So thanks for being here.
2: Thank you so much, Jessica, for having me.
1: Oh, gotta call me Jess. Otherwise I feel like I'm in trouble. (laughs) Will do. (laughs) So let's start by hearing about your background and some of the brands that you've led. Tell us about yourself.
2: Yeah, of course. So uh, I kind of describe myself as a Free range strategists. Uh, I've been really lucky to be in brand strategy my whole career, but the the places and spaces I've done it in have been very different. You know, I started off in big agencies in New York, you know, working for Fortune 500 brands like Nestle and Unilever, and that really kind of gave me a great grounding in how great brands are built uh, from the bottom up. And then from there, I actually moved to the startup world and spent a lot of time uh, thinking about how brands functioned in the digital space for companies like Etsy and Spotify and learning how much brand building had really evolved uh, in in the 21st century. And now, uh, you know, I I really loved doing brand building on the tech side. And so now I am am director of brand strategy at Microsoft, which is just, it's such an exciting place to be, uh, you know, to do brand strategy, uh, client side, where we get to not just promote products, but actually shape them alongside our product and design and engineering teams. And to me, it's really like it's it's brand strategy's natural home um, to be working at the real onset of of when products are introduced, um, how they're presented, uh, you know, what meaning and impact they have on the wider world. It's a very exciting place to be, and I just I really really love what I do.
1: Well, you can hear that in your voice, so let's keep (laughs) that going. Uh, I'm excited to dive in. I'm going to start with what might be a pretty basic or foundational question, but when you think about setting your brand strategy and all the pieces of the strategy that that touches, how important is it to have a human-centric foundation to that strategy? What does that mean uh, within your purview and your business?
2: We talk At Microsoft, we talk a lot about customer centricity. As a strategist, you know, it's an easy thing to say, and it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. Right. Because particularly when you're in the brand world, you spend your entire day like obsessing about the products and services that you're developing. And of course, the reality to the rest of the world is that your brand doesn't matter that much and part of being customer centric and like, actually, I think like the heart of it is realizing, you know, that people are just trying to get by day to day. They're trying to figure out what they need to do the best they can in the environment they're in. And nothing you know, nothing is driven at home more than the pandemic environment that we're in. And that like the paradox to me at the heart of being customer centric, it's, it's realizing how little role that you play um, helps you actually maximize that role and, and embrace the meaning that you're able to do. So being customer centric to me, like it really starts with understanding where you're at, um, what role you play uh, in in every in somebody's everyday life, and then orienting yourself to that constantly, right? And not trying to be more than you are, but to actually deepen who you are and find new ways to be useful, new ways to be to provide value, right? And I think that's why working at Microsoft, you know, where fundamentally all we're trying to do is help people be better at work, right? Like that's why being aligned to a company that has that clarity of mission is, is been really, really um, a good fit for me.
1: I'm struck by that concept that you're actually not that big of a deal when you're a brand and there's some, (laughs) you know, built in humility in that. And can you describe a moment where you felt like the team got to an aha place when they, really entrench themselves in that humility, like, listen, these people are out there trying to live their lives and we're, do you have a, a memory that relates to that?
2: Yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, it's, I would say broadly, right, it's something we think a lot about when we're working on M365 and our, our office suite of productivity tools, right, which is that There's a way to to design and market those tools, which is fundamentally self-important, right? Which is about like making sure that you're prominent and visible to the user. And there's also a, a way of designing and marketing those tools, which actually is fundamentally humble in its approach, right? That actually does things on behalf of the user, right? And that actually like integrates itself into a single interface, right? And so doing more of that, doing more of that integration work, like showing up in a simpler, more intuitive, intuitive way for users, right? I think that's so much of where we spend effort <laughs> as a team. Um, is trying to make our offerings really, really easy to understand, really intuitive and, and fundamentally just like natural. Um, the last thing the world needs is another app, <laughs> right? Like that that's the starting place. Like people's home screens are full enough. People have enough tabs open on their browser, right? We don't lack options. What we lack is clarity, right? And so staying true to providing clarity is basically our objective uh, as a team, I think has, has been really helpful for us as a north star.
1: So tied to that, I was struck as I reflected on our conversation and your role and also being a Microsoft user professional myself, one of the characteristics that we look at for gutsy brands is what you're describing. It's leading with empathy. It's really understanding the human experience and keeping that as your North star throughout all of your innovation, your brand building, you know, just never lose, losing sight, losing sight of it. And Microsoft 365 must must be so unique because you and your teams are in those tools all day, every day. You're your own audience, you're your own user. So it's really interesting. How does that impact how you embed empathy within the process? Do you design for yourselves and your colleagues, or do you have to almost disassociate yourself from your use of the product?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a really great question and it's a really deep one that we talk a lot about at Microsoft because one of the things that's really important to us, right, is that our marketing is inclusive and that it takes into account, you know, not just the people who might be buying our products right but the entire ecosystem of people that come in contact with it and how we actually operationalize that as a team is we spend a lot of we spend a lot of time talking to people in various roles at different altitudes of the organization because so much of what microsoft products are trying to do is they're trying to merge the perspectives within an organization right to have this ceo See the business from the frontline workers' point of view, to have IT understand what the security person is trying to do, right? To to broker that sense of shared understanding, so that the company can achieve their goals that much quicker. We have a lot of research processes that we run. It's like it's to encourage those collisions between the different perspectives of the organization. Like, don't shy away from the tension that inherently is a part of working in any job, in any company, like lean into it. Cause it's in that tension that like, that's the real opportunity. If you're able to resolve that tension on behalf of folks, like that's a role for the brand to play, no matter what that specific person is doing.
1: I feel like you just described my work day, Brandon, I think <laughs> I me mean right now. Um, because that tension, it can be thick right? It can be really uncomfortable. And I don't know, I'm not a big fan of, of confrontation, but I always feel like if you can sort of marinate in that, that's where you find the innovation. That's where you find where healthy tension can actually create the opportunity. So I love hearing you say that. And that's, uh, that's refreshing to know that the Microsoft thinks that way. I, I just want to give you kudos for, for thinking that way. Um, let's take a moment away from Microsoft to talk about one aspect of your background that I found really super interesting, and that is your time at Etsy. Um, As you know, when we talk about gutsy brands, one of the aspects we really admire is pioneering paths, and Etsy reinvented commerce. (laughs) So I'm going to ask you a very big question, and you take it where you can, but how did they do that? <laughs> and what were some of the challenges that they, that they faced along the way?
2: Yeah, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was an incredible uh, ride with that company. I think, um, you know, when I joined the company, there were at a very specific inflection point, you know, from a niche par- marketplace to something far more mainstream. Right, and how were they gonna kind of cross that gap from like, you know, a a place to sell arts and crafts to something that was much more universal, right? And that had a far larger audience. Um, And when we thought about how the marketplace had to change, you know, and when I first started working at the brand, the first thing I did was was spend a lot of time with the Etsy sellers, right? Like spent a lot of time understanding what what do they want to see out of this marketplace what tools are the right tools for them how will they grow their personal brands and their businesses right and that was a message that we talked a lot about internally which is that like if etsy does does well for its sellers right those sellers will create the items that everybody will fall in love with, right? And so it's like, it's, it's thinking about how to get that flywheel going and really kind of embracing the fact that the sellers are, are the heart and soul of that marketplace and building a support system around them that will help, you know, grow what they do.
1: So the sellers are seen more as the customer at Etsy. Is that fair?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean like, and that's 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 why I loved, from a brand perspective, that's why I loved working in that environment. Like any kind of two-sided marketplace is just fascinating, mm-hmm. right? Cause it's like the question of who you serve is, a, is an interesting and complex one. You know, when you reflect on all the other marketplaces, that exists in the world airbnb uber right like a lot of these places you know fundamentally your job as a brand person like it might not always be on the demand side of that equation it actually might be on the supply side like it might actually be like generating more uh variety so that so that people have more choice and that's why that's why it was such a stimulating place to to do marketing and to to do brand because you had to think about both sides of that uh, equation always and becoming you know becoming a much easier place to sell, uh, figuring out ways to you know so people could really customize their storefronts and have an, a have a seller experience in Etsy that felt bespoke to them and, and felt like they actually owned that space right like that. That changed how people thought about Etsy, buyers and sellers alike.
1: And can you speak to one of the foundational insights of Etsy, which I won't do it justice and that's why I'm going to ask you to do it, but this idea of connecting buyers and sellers in a way that buyers can select more authentic gifts or items for their home and like what that really means from a, a core insight perspective can you share more about how how the business thinks about that
2: yeah of course well it, again like you you start to think about you know what's the connection between buyers and sellers and supply and demand right and, and what we the kind of theory of change that we developed at etsy was this, like this idea of you know collective commerce and the virtuous cycle like as As those sellers were able to expand their businesses on the platform and present more items like that makes a more desirable place for buyers to be because they can find what they're looking for. And as more buyers flock to the platform, you know that that builds the customer base for a broader assortment of sellers across all categories right, and so you start to you start to see this flywheel and this ecosystem develop where like buyers and sellers are actually in dialogue with each other and it creates this whole kind of honestly economy right which is kind of it's kind of based on what people want to see made in the world you know buyers and sellers alike and when like when those when those passions aligned right like when what a seller really wanted to commit to crafting lined up with what a buyer really wanted to seek out. Like, it's so hard not to get chills about just that human connection. Like, it was such a rich and deep brand to work on. And the storytelling around it was just honestly endless because there were so many serendipitous moments like that. it's like, what one person loved to create was exactly what another person wanted to experience and it's 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 just a beautiful thing to see it in action
1: i mean it when i just got chills and this is what i meant when i opened up with your our chat gave me an opportunity to reflect on a brand like etsy that i buy things from my daughter buys things from but i've never thought about this wider economy that's been created through this and how many authentic experiences have been enabled through it. So I'm so glad that you got the opportunity to, to restate that to our listeners because we sharing the chills, um, it's phenomenal. So speaking of Etsy you know, changing the world, it also was a huge milestone within your career to be leading marketing at the time of IPO, right? That was sort of a big deal. So can you share some of the lessons that you learned as part of that process?
2: you know, take, (laughs) going through the experience of, uh, you know, an IPO is quite, it's quite an intense one. You know, I think particularly it was such uh, a flashpoint for a company like Etsy that is so purpose-driven, right? And so you end up with like this real collision of viewpoints about this, like this purpose-driven brand that's kind of meeting the capitalist marketplace for the first time. And there were a lot of really interesting open questions there about like, you know, who's going to come out on top, right? Like, like how is profit going to versus purpose going to shake out? And I think what we tried to do is try to like underline in that moment that we didn't see a trade-off between those two things. That actually, as we were saying, you know, the truer that Etsy stayed to its, to its mission, the more that it, conveyed and evangelized that purpose <laughs> and got people to to believe in a new economy right the company and the stock price will be successful right like that is an that's an outcome that will come through living the purpose right and i think that was a that was a wonderful thing to think about like how to make that argument <laughs> to Wall Street, honestly. Like, how do you make that argument to investors? And like, I, you know, I played a very, very small role in that process, but what is really heartening is how we stuck to our philosophy, you know, that this was not a moment for Etsy to change to fit the demands (laughs) of the public markets. It was a moment for the public markets to understand something differently about how companies could be built.
1: Tremendous learnings within that and also tremendous conviction. And you can look at the entry into that, you know, broader mainstream market as well is an opportunity to generate greater awareness among more people about this, you know, this gem of a a commerce um, economy. So I can't wait to learn more. I'm going to go back and study that uh, IPO process and see what what I can learn from it as well. So let's go to another brand experience that you had. And this one has me very interested because another characteristic we talk about for Gutsy Brands is standing behind bold ideas, even if it's not yet a popular idea or a well-understood idea. And you worked on brand strategy for the Viagra brand. And at that time, yeah. And at that time, a lot of the messaging in the category you know, I'm kind of conjuring back to commercials at at the time, it was from a very macho point of view, right? So I'm curious, how did you tackle the, how did you tackle the objective of making Viagra a brand that could actually stand out and be differentiated in that category at that time?
2: I mean, it all starts with empathy, right? To go back to earlier in our conversation, you know, as a strategist, the first thing I always need to do is get face to face with a customer, right? And and sit with their challenges, right? And not try to solve them right away and just sit with the emotions that they're feeling. And I think that you know, the Viagra experience was definitely, you know, it was it was a time when that was that was necessary and is also kind of painful to do, right? As you were saying, you know so much of what the marketing was like for Viagra and the other competitors at this point in time was very macho, right? It was like sports stars on TV, you know, making really big claims and just, you know, and honestly, like a lot of it felt like a Bud Light commercial. And that just didn't strike me as correct. (laughs) It just, it didn't strike me as like, if I'm the guy who's going through some kind of challenges in this area, it doesn't feel like that's helping me. Um, And so, you know, I I spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time just listening and, you know, when you do that um, for this, but like, you know, just generally, like in the healthcare category in general, like, you know, when people have health issues, you know, there's, there's such a depth of, really painful emotions they go through embarrassment, shame, you know, in some cases guilt. And so we just wanted to, we just wanted to like again, you know, don't move past that tension, like stay in it and and move towards that tension. Right. And a lot of what we did on the Viagra brand was to totally invert the polarity and the personality of it from something very macho, right? Like to something that's far more, uh, you know, consoling uh, and supportive. And when, you know, and the role that we said, is like we, who we wanna be to these men is like, we wanna be their coach, right? You know, and when, you know, when your coach sees you not doing well, what it doesn't do is it doesn't yell and celebrate and cheer. What a good coach does is it takes you aside, right? and it has, a, it has a conversation with you. And sometimes that conversation can be can be honest, it can be blunt, right? But it's what you need to hear. And it, that's exactly the posture that we took with, with Viagra, right? What we need to do as a brand is like, we need to number one, just be there for these human beings that are going through something, which is probably quite traumatic. And we need to let them know that a solution to their issues is easier and closer to them than they think. And we thought of like some very specific ways, right? For instance, how you bring up, uh, you know, Viagra in a doctor's conversation to find out ways to do that really quickly and easily, like rather than having to like say something awkwardly in your appointment, like here's a card that you can just take (laughs) and hand it to your doctor and have that conversation, right? And really it's about like the fascinating thing about that project, it was like, it was really like, understanding understanding men at a deeper level right rejecting a lot of the stereotypes that exist around like what it means to be a man and like and that actually like being a supportive brand is actually the best way to approach them
1: So I'm going to go back to the tech part of your storied career, because we've been to from Microsoft, Etsy, Viagra, back to Microsoft now for for a minute. Um, One of the things that we really admire about Gutsy Brands is that they embrace what we call the power of and, and that is seeing opportunities where others force trade-offs. And so I wonder if this is a nice anchor for where I'd like to pick your brain on this idea of balance. Um, security is a delicate space, right? And it must balance what might be an aspirational tone with the acknowledgement that it's quite a serious topic, right? People take their, their security and privacy very seriously. So in order to connect with people, I imagine you have to find that balance and that it's it's a constant walk uh, on that balance. So how does Microsoft achieve that?
2: We, you know, we we recently launched Microsoft security as a product a couple of years ago. And we spent a lot of time just thinking through, like, you know, what what's Microsoft's unique perspective on this space? What are we bringing to this table that, you know, other brands and other companies aren't? And, you know, we we looked left to right across the category and, you know, what you largely see when you look at the security category, there's like, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there, right? Like. There's a lot of what I would call fear-based marketing out there, precisely, you know, for the reasons you said, Jess, because these people like they their jobs are high high wire acts, right? And so to a certain kind of marketer, right, like the best way to provoke action is to basically emphasize the fact <laughs> that your job is difficult. And precarious, right? I would call like that's the easy route to take and it's the obvious route to take. And we and we asked ourselves, like, well, what what other routes are out there in this category? How could we address these people differently that felt like it was taking a, a wider lens to who they are beyond just right the narrowness of a security professional? And What we actually found is like, you know, when you get in deep discussions with security professionals in terms of like, why does your job matter, right? You know, a lot of it is actually about what it enables the company to do, right? When security is in place, it's not just that, you know, there's less bad things happening. It's that a whole world of good things are now possible. You're able to innovate so much faster and that can affect the whole trajectory of the company when you have that security foundation in place. And we thought like, Hey, there's a bigger story to tell here, right? This is not just about security as minimizing the bad. It's about how it nourishes the good. And like that kind of message to these security professionals who can, who can see themselves sometimes, right? Like as a cost center who can see themselves sometimes as just, you know, a service to the company to say like, no, like, this is the innovation, this is the center of innovation for this company. Like this is an essential element for the company to go out and envision the future that it wants. And taking that optimistic tone, right? Like still grounded, as you say, into the realities of the daily job, because the daily job is, you know, the reality of like, you can't overlook how complicated that job is to do in the 21st century but at the same time it's like what that job means is something much bigger we think like and it's and I think it's meaningful coming from a company like Microsoft that actually does you know we think about these things end to end Um, and for ourselves as a company right having having our our teams and our and our people be able to operate on a secure platform, like that's the that's the key to our success. And so it's an authentic story that we're turning inside out and, and providing to our customers.
1: So I think what you're saying is we should retitle the head of IT and security to essentially head of innovation, collaboration, all of the things that we need to do as a business because they are the enablers of that. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Zach at GutCheck will love that. So I'm going to. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, and I think it's just it's getting towards like I think the the Uber insight behind so much of what we do for Microsoft products, which is that like we're all far far more interconnected than we recognize, you know. And I think that's something that that realization has really hit us in our personal lives, but it hasn't really come to bear on our professional lives yet. And, you know, to tell that IT person and that security person, right, like you like the two of you actually like you are two sides of the same coin. And and you really and you're able if you're able to work together and you're able to come to a common understanding, right? Like that is such an unlock for your whole organization. Um, I think it's really like it's a good example of Microsoft as a brand, like how we are trying to bring people within an organization together.
1: Well, that's a great segue to the next brand I'd like for you to talk about, because Microsoft Viva, I think, is a brand that definitely delivers on that power of and. And I gotta say, I'm reminded of that every day in my inbox, wink, wink, it's in there. So, <laughs> uh, so tell us about the brand and you've got some exciting innovation cooking. So what can you tell us?
2: Yeah, so I am very, very excited about Microsoft Eva. Um, for those who don't know, it's, it's a new employee experience platform that, that we're creating. And essentially think of it as like, it's a support system for every employee at work that's customized and personalized to you. When you when you kind of reflect on, you know, the tools that you're given as, a, as an employee, right? You probably have some way, you know, like to do personal admin tasks, like, you know, file for vacation time. You might have like learning and development tools to take a class. Uh, you might have, you know, ways to stay in contact with the organization, you know, things you know big communications tools but there's a couple issues right like number one all of these tools that were given as employees like they're disconnected from each other they're all in different places right and it's so easy to forget that they even exist and so companies buy these things but they don't realize the true value of them because they're just not present for people in the way they could be and then of course like in the 21st century, like, we all have more emails than we'll ever get around to answering. We all have more messages than we'll get around to answering. We all live in an endless stream of information, right? And so actually carving out the time for us to be intentional about our career paths, to think about, like, what skills do I need to grow and to put a plan forth for doing that, you know, it feels just like, it feels like it's a, an intention we all have, but it just feels just slightly out of our grasp all the time. And so those are the challenges that we tried to think through with Viva, which is like, what if you took those employee tools that are now fragmented and you actually put them in the flow of work, right? They weren't peripheral anymore. They're actually central to you. They're at their fingertips. And not only are they accessible to you, but they're actually doing things actively on your behalf. An example of this that I always use is that the focus time feature for Viva, right? Which is that like, it will proactively ask you, you know, like, hey, looking forward to your next week, like let's set aside time for you to do individual work so that you don't spend eight hours of meetings. It will block that time on your calendar, right? And it will adjust to find the right spaces in your day to do that work. Um, and it's just one example of, the opportunity in front of us, right? Which is basically to create a platform for the entire company that's really just responsive to each individual's work styles, habits, wants and needs, their long-term goals, how they wanna grow professionally, the network they wanna build, right? To not have those, be conversations that come up once or twice a year in a performance review, but to have that be a consistent part of your everyday experience and to value those things as much as we value like the project-based work that we do.
1: I have probably a dozen questions about Viva, but I'll try to limit myself to just a couple. One is, I mean, you're building in features and functionality that are based in well-being principles that maybe an HR consultant might might give you right so i'm curious how did you determine what those features and functionality would be did you did you take input from other domains and how did you go about doing that
2: we're really lucky to work at microsoft where obviously you know we we have a wealth of information and insight to tap into in terms of you know what people are looking at as something like an employee experience platform. Um, We did a lot of research where we kind of asked ourselves, well, it's like, well, particularly in this hybrid environment, like what people, what are people missing, right? And what role can software play, not to solve the problem, but to create the space for a solution to emerge, right? Because a big part of what we talked about with Viva is that like, you know, Viva doesn't give you a new boss. It doesn't, it doesn't, could change the context that you're in the organization, but what it can do, right? And where its power comes from, is it like it enables all of us to follow through in our intentions, right? Because fundamentally, I think like a lot of people within an organization, they have good intentions for each other, right? Like managers wanna grow their team. Leaders wanna find ways to deliver bigger impact and create new opportunities for, for people that they, that they oversee individuals, right? Like they wanna find ways to mentor each other and to grow each other, right? And so Viva is really like, it's a platform for those connections and those relationships to grow. And again, going back to humility, it's like, it's just, it's providing that kind of that platform and that space for those things to happen, right? And just basically saying that like making time for these things is also important and essential to feeling satisfied at work, to feeling fulfilled, right? Just doing that bit um, is enough. And and that's what we found, you know, we're on the beginning of a very long journey with Viva. We have a lot to learn. And like, you know, we're constantly in dialogue with our customers about like, you know, as you're saying, like the right features and functionality for something like this, you know, but, That's exactly what's so exciting and energizing about it is that, like, we're in this moment trying to architect the right solutions, trying to think, through. it's like, what is the way, right way to support somebody as they, as they move through an organization, like, as they evolve as individuals and as the teams evolve, right, and it's such a fascinating problem to fall in love with, and I think, like, as a strategist, right, like, that's all you really want.
1: It is a fascinating problem to fall in love with. And I think, again, going back to my observation that now when I see some of my nudges and I see some of the features that I have, I've been exposed to with Viva, I am struck by how many human beings over the planet that is impacting. If you can give two hours of focus time <laughs> to even a smidge of your users and they're, they can actually focus and, and develop true thinking and thought and creativity, It's amazing. So I I don't know. I just wanted to, again, double down on the fact that what seems like a simple thing from an individual user, once you really unpack it, is a much bigger deal. So it is a fascinating problem, and I'm glad you are tackling it. So we're going to move to a lightning round. So there are no right or wrong answers to these questions. So I really want top of mind, either as your experience as a professional or your experience as a consumer out there in the world, I'd love for you to name a brand or a campaign that you feel like truly showed empathy. It got people.
2: One that really comes to mind for me, in general, I like, I actually think who does a really great job is nonprofits and in particular like uh, the Nature Conservancy's work, like they do a lot of really great jobs to make the, the problem visceral for people, right? And I think that's so instructive to me working in a very different category in a very different world, right? That That is the, the first job, right? Is to really clarify the challenge. Like what, what are you trying to solve on people's behalf, right? And Taking a page out of that book, you know, finding ways to finding ways to dramatize, you know, the solution that you're trying to bring to bear. I, I, I always love the nature Conservancy's work. I think it's really powerful.
1: I get that, and we have not had a nonprofit example for that question. So, so thank you for that. What about one that is pioneering? It created a new way of thinking or doing business.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think as we've been discussing, like, I, I'm i fascinated by marketplaces, you know. I think I think what Airbnb has been able to do, you know, not just their initial business model, but how they've been able to expand to all these adjacent spaces and getting deep into experiences. Like, I, I think they're just such a great example of how, as a brand, you're doing different things for people, but it all just feels so cohesive and coherence, right? And like, everything goes back to that central idea right that you know people can belong anywhere and i just i love i love how well that all hangs together and they're they're pioneering so many different kinds of verticals and yet as a user it all feels so natural <laughs> it all feels like it all feels almost preordained the path that they've taken and they think like that that's such an aspiration from a brand standpoint is that you're both ambitious, but the ambition just makes so much sense in
1: retrospect. Mm-hmm. yeah and that ambition ties to the idea of standing behind a bold idea because. I can't even imagine that first pitch and how many people must've been like, what are you talking about? People are going to give up their homes for strangers to stay in. So I think that's a good example of a couple of those DNA aspects. Yeah. So we'll move to the other lightning round, which is spill your guts. This is all about you and it's about your personality. So there truly are no right and wrong. (laughs) What's the first brand you remember as a child?
2: Oh, easy Lego. Yeah, Lego always stays with you, and I think like, and I think it's such they provide such a great example, which is that like you know they left so much space right for for people to create you know, and I I I adore them as a product. I build them with my kids. I also adore them as a brand. Like hey, I think it's such a great example to all of us who work in marketing that less can always be more.
1: I totally agree, and a couple of follow-up questions to that. Uh, have you has your family watched Lego Masters? Because that is a lot of fun to watch. Oh that.
2: no, I got to put it on yes. the list.
1: So good, so good, and um, uh, I won't have you answer this, but I'm curious the maximum amount you've spent on a Lego for your child. Because somehow, for my ten year old, we get pushed into price thresholds that I didn't think were possible. But uh, <laughs> I won't, I won't have you answer that one. Um, what book or movie best represents your career journey? Oh
2: probably choose your own adventure books. You know, those are always my favorite as a kid. And like as I was saying at the beginning, you know, being a free range strategist, just kind of chasing down, you know, the various alleys of this job and just following whatever seems interesting and compelling. Like I've been, I've been super lucky to be able to do that, you know, and that's, so that's how I think about my journey. And that the coolest thing about being at Microsoft, right. Is that, you know, no matter what you're passionate about, like there's, there's probably a team of folks working on it here. (laughs) And, And, and that's, that's just so cool for us as a team to, to be able to, Work in all these different places and spaces and all these different categories under the same roof.
1: Mm-hmm. I think this next one is very cool for you. I'm interested in your answer. How do you describe your job to a child?
2: <laughs> Isn't that a hypothetical question to me? Because I, <laughs> you know, I have a four-year-old and two-year-old, and they ask me all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. To put it simply, you know, I I help companies listen. You know. I think that's fundamentally what the job is, you know, and that listening orientation, I think is, is so key to being a good marketer, you -hmm. know? Um, And I always make sure, you know, for myself and my team that we're, we are always doing lots of listening before, before we're speaking. (laughs) And I think my, I think I'm pretty sure my preschool, my kids' preschool teacher says the same thing.
1: Uh, that's amazing because you didn't say I help companies sell stuff. You said I help companies listen and that's important. Um, what's one piece of advice you would give a business leader who's looking to help their brand be gutsy?
2: I mean, I think building off of that, right. Building off of listening, you know, I think to be gutsy, you have to start from a place of understanding. Right. Right. You know, I think there's a lot of examples of brands that took risks, but those risks weren't based, they weren't based in needs. They weren't, they weren't based in any kind of um, hunger that, that their audience had. Right. And I think, you know, when I think about what it means to be a gutsy brand, you know, I think a lot of it for me comes down to like, what are you championing on behalf of your audience what what can't they say what are they too afraid to say what might they you know not think of saying that you can say and i think you know i think there's so many aspects of this that you know like finding once you're able to locate i think what your audience needs at a deeper level i think the gutsiness actually comes naturally right like like once you connect to that deep need and you feel it you know the way they feel it i think you can't help but you know move towards them right and and it's just it's such a natural human reaction to try to be there for them right and so i think in that way it's like the the empathy and the guts like they're one thing and you know you know that you've gotten to the right insight you know that you've gotten deep enough when all of a sudden like the courage to act is there um and and you know once when it's just reflecting on like you know once once i understood you know the pain of those guys who need viagra once i understood the frustration of those people who were struggling with just the the employee tools that they're given like once you connect to that emotion you know you, you'll find the courage
1: i'm going to make a bold statement right now and feel free to tell your wife but i have developed a serious professional crush on you during the last 3 minutes because everything that you just said is exactly why we get so passionate about telling these stories, about why we believe in these characteristics of a, of a Gutsy brand. So I could not have said it better and we're gonna write that down and play it over and over, and over again. Okay? <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, two more quick ones. What's the most used emoji on your phone?
2: Oh, crying laughing, of course. Yeah, okay. yeah, crying yeah. laughing, of course. Yeah, all, all the time. Uh, you know, I'd, the one I uh, I'm an e, I'm an East Coaster naturally, so I have some time zones to traverse. But you know, I'm always trading jokes back and forth with with my East Coast friends, and uh, yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping you know, with the end of this pandemic, we'll be able to get get together soon
1: and cry laugh in person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And we are compiling a Gutsy brand playlist that is becoming pretty epic, I must say. So you should check it out. But what song would you add to it?
2: Oh man. Yeah. Wow. I think I think you need some more NG. I think okay. you need regulate by Warren G you know mm-hmm. I, I think it sets i think it sets the right tone now they dropping and yelling it's a tad bit late nate dog and warren g had to regulate and uh you know it's got some guts
1: <laughs> i love that answer and now you've stuck a perfect song in my head for the rest of the day so with that Brandon, thank you. Thank you for providing your perspective today. Learned a lot, got me a lot to think about and just also super fun conversation. You're, you're a great guy. So thank you for joining us today.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Jess. It was a pleasure.
0: Jess, that was a powerful interview. Now I think you'll agree that Brandon's description of how Viagra required true empathy to really connect with their audience was moving. And of course it makes so much sense. As Brandon said, health issues have a depth of powerful emotions like guilt and shame and to be successful, you need to understand that and sit with those emotions and feelings. They also determined who they wanted to be to their customer. And he said, a coach, blunt and supportive, someone that will say what you need to hear when you need to hear it.
1: I totally agree that that was one of the most poignant parts and was so memorable. And what stuck with me was that phrasing. You need to sit with them Mm -hmm. and feel what they feel. That is empathy, right? And once you sit with them, you understand that authentic experience, you can approach the problem differently from a more empathetic space. So, I truly loved that line of the conversation. I did too. And I feel like you really connected with Brandon
0: and how he sees his role in brand strategy, and that in general, you guys had a lot of excitement around everything you discussed. Why don't you talk us through your key takeaways?
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, at first um, I was sort of embarrassed because <laughs> I professed my professional crush on Brandon, but uh, you know, and I also told my husband, so we're all in the nest That's here. <laughs> but, <laughs> but when I reflected on our conversation, it's like, man, does this guy really get it? He really does. And I honestly don't think you'll be the only one with a professional crush after this airs. Yeah. I hope not. I hope not. And <laughs> You know, it started with this very humble observation, which is what he called the brand's paradox. And that is that your brand doesn't actually matter. And to hear a marketing leader say that, it was pretty profound to me. Um, But when he, you know, he elaborated what that means is that if you almost forget your brand's agenda and you entrench yourself in the role, That your brand actually plays in your customers day to day life and what their experience is really like you realize that the role of your brand is actually quite small in that context of their full life and that to be human centric is to appreciate that and understand that and I just think that was such an important lesson for our listeners to hear. It
0: was. And I also think looking at it that way opens up a lot of opportunities for unique positioning and marketing as well. And I think we see that with a lot of brands that are standouts
1: as empathetic and human centric. Absolutely. And those are the brands that we, we admire and want to speak to. So that was one of my, my big takeaways. I was also struck by the conversation around Etsy, uh, which is a business model that is the definition of pioneering new paths, right? truly reinventing commerce. But I hadn't put much thought into the greater impact of Etsy, that it's a place where what sellers want is just as important as what buyers want. And when those two worlds can be, you know, combined in a marketplace where everyone's needs are satisfied, that people can create things that other people want in their lives. I'm just struck by all the positive impact that's created through that marketplace. So what a place to be, to be leading a brand like Etsy um, and really changing commerce in that way. That's true. And we've seen successful
0: marketplaces before like eBay, but Etsy can connect people in the most niche categories and almost build a community as well. I've been both a buyer and a seller on Etsy and both experiences were fabulous. They really do know what you need and they ask what you need.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I totally went on a tangent with Brandon when we first talked because my lampshade I bought on Etsy and it was a whole experience. And I feel so connected to that seller in the UK and her line of these lampshades. So a little plug for Candid Owl, if I can. (laughs) That's Um, great. Yeah. So go, go look at it. But So I thought that that was an excellent brand to, to learn more about. And then, of course, Brandon is currently with Microsoft. And from a, from a standpoint at Microsoft, what really resonated with me is this concept of security and how many brands that are in that space take a fear-based gloom and doom approach to marketing. Well, what if you flipped that, right? And you embraced all the things that security actually enables and nourishes was the word that he, years, he used. Um, security empowers innovation. It empowers collaboration, efficiency. So now your head of security, instead of being a watchdog or a hall monitor or a, you know, doom and gloom type of personality, it's actually the architect of innovation. What an aspirational concept to take something like security and transform it completely. You make it sound easy. (laughs) You know, with these podcast guests, it kind of feels that way to just let them talk and we learn so much. That's true. Yeah, and we're lucky. We have good jobs, Emily. We do. Um, So I'll conclude with one of the most memorable pieces for me, which in our line of business at Gut Check is perhaps the most inspiring and the most relevant. And it was what Brandon said, you've gotten to the right insight. You've gone deep enough when you get to the emotion and then you'll have the courage to act. I was just so inspired by that thinking that Brandon shared, and I can't wait for our audience to hear it and respond to it. And PS, if you want help getting to that emotional insight, give Gut Check a call. Um, But I think this was a great episode. I appreciate Brandon's time very much, and I hope our, our listeners enjoy it.
0: I think they will. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And if you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. See you next time.